Good morning, church. I brought my high school letterman's jacket to show you. This has been in my closet for 20 plus years. I think I put it on for the first time today. I was really wrestling with, do I wear this to church or do I wear my regular jacket and bring this? And I'm like, there's no reason to bring two coats. So I just, I wore this uh, to church today. And, uh, you know, I'm, if you were in high school, who had letterman's jackets? Do they still, I don't know if the kids still do that too much or not. I just, I love this. I would still wear it today. I would, but it was still warm wool. I just like it. So Seneca High School, so there's the S's. Uh, this, you, you, you know, you kind of wanted to fill your jacket with all these awards and medals. And I've got my academic letter here and three different bars for every year, I, you know, for my high school. I've got a couple German by satellite medals here. We did um, German by satellite through Oklahoma State University. Now, you got to remember, this was before the internet, Okay, and so we had some kind of Apple Mac computer type thing and a phone, and that's how we did some of the German by satellite uh, class stuff. There's my band ladder. We went to Disney World my freshman year, so I got a little pin there about Disney World. I've got uh, my athletic letter. I got a, a letter when I was in track my sophomore year and my senior year. I got to letter in basketball. National Honor Society, I've got who's who and among American high school students. There's the year I graduated, if you want to know how old I am. <laughs> um, and then on the back is just my last name. And then there's even some like extra medals and things in this pocket. And so, you know, we, and I've got a little cross here, and I put a nail here too to remind me of Jesus and his nail, you know, getting his hands nailed on the cross for us. So this was me. This defined me for like three plus years during high school. And these were achievements that were very important to me. And nothing wrong with that other than if we just look for this as our primary worth and value. But I brought this today to just ask the question, you know, what do we place our value in? You know, these things are not bad, but and it's, eventually there's going to be some things that are going to be replaced this because for a while this just kind of goes in the closet for a season or two. And so what are some things when the day is done that are important to you? What are some things that are valuable? If you were to say, I value this in my life, what would it be? I fear that sometimes as adults, we still chase these letterman jackets. They just have shinier price tags for things. And so I just want us to think about when life is said and done, what do we value most? I think that's the question the Apostle Paul asks in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I want to invite you to Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're in this series where we're, we're just talking about how Jesus is our and today is our lord and so it's on page 956 in the pew bible in front of you and we're just going to walk through first thessalonians this month because first thessalonians talks a lot about the second coming of jesus and how we as followers of jesus need to be prepared for his second coming and i have a hunch that if we think about his second coming it will help us prepare better to celebrate his first coming christmas and so Paul asks the question, what's, what's valuable? What's important? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He asks a question. For what is our hope, our joy, 
or the crown in which we will glory, some of the translations say, our crown of boasting. What will we boast about? And that crown was, was the victor's crown. It's that laurel, laurel wreath that they would put on the athletes after they've won the victory. So what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory or boast in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when He comes? That word, when He comes... If you read it in your Latin Bible, it's where we get our word advent, adventu, coming. Jesus is coming. So what are we going to boast about? What are we going to, what's our hope? What's our joy? What's that crown when Jesus comes? I'm thankful that Paul answers our, his question. He says, is it not you? The church in Thessalonica, is it not you? Indeed, yes, yes, you, you are our glory and our joy. Here's what I came today to say. Our coming Lord defines our values. Our coming Lord defines our values. Jesus is going to come back, and what's going to be the thing that matters most? This word Lord is used 24 times in these two letters to the Thessalonians. There's just eight chapters. 24 times we hear the word Lord. In the book of Acts, it is 17 times. In the book of Romans, 16 times for each chapter you find Lord. But here in these small little letters to Thessalonians, 24 times he says Lord or Lord Jesus or Lord Jesus Christ. And it could be that there's a connection between Lord and His second coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. So our coming Lord defines our values. We have some values here at church. Did you know that? We have core values here at Berlin Christian Church. And several years ago, we, we just spelled them out. And, and one of those, if you look at the second one on the list, we value the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are a Jesus church, and we will not apologize for saying we love Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. And so our coming Lord, our coming King, defines our values. What are some of those values, then, from this chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? There's several. I've highlighted four that I want us to look at today. Four values that are some of the Lord's values for us. So if he's our king and we want to follow Jesus as our king, we should value what he values. And so the first one I see in verses 1 and 2 is the Lord values his gospel. The Lord values his gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results or was not in vain. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We dared to tell you his gospel, or we spoke his gospel boldly in the face of strong opposition. If you were here last week, we talked about how Paul and Silas and Timothy were in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17 and how they had some good start to their ministry and people were following Jesus, but then there were some others that didn't like what was happening and they formed a mob and they basically ran Paul, Silas, and Timothy out of town. And that was in Thessalonica. And Paul's saying, you remember what it was like before we got to your place? 
in Philippi. If you want to, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, this is where Paul is describing what happened to them in Philippi. And again, I just want to remind you that these New Testament letters, they find their history in the book of Acts. So when you're reading through some of these letters, make sure you go and look through the book of Acts to find some of that context, some of the history there. And so you you pick it up in verse 16. Paul and Silas are, are visiting Philippi, and they see this female slave girl who has a spirit. She's predicting the future. She's telling fortunes, and it says that her owners are making a great deal of money. This gal is kind of annoying to Paul, and he says there in verse 18, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her to the spirit. He casts the spirit out of her, and it leaves. The owners are upset because this now means that their money-making scheme is gone. This gal can't predict future anymore, so they've lost their money-making opportunity. And so these men, they, get, uh, they drag Paul and Silas, verse 8, 19, into the marketplace to face the authorities. Here's the charge. These men are Jews and are throwing our, in, are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept. Verse 22, Acts chapter 16. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown in prison. So Paul says, you know what it was like in Philippi, how we were outrageously treated. But we dared to speak to you the gospel, his gospel, with the help of our God. So sometimes following Jesus is going to be difficult and will bring opposition, but we still value the gospel even in the face of opposition. It says, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. This word gospel could also just mean good news, the good news of Jesus. I usually describe the good news of Jesus. Jesus came as a human being, fully God, fully man. He taught us God's way. He died on a cross, was buried, rose three days later, and offers us the gift of eternal life. That's the good news of Jesus. And one day, he's ascended into heaven, and one day will come back to bring us home. That is the gospel message in a nutshell. That's the good news. This phrase, good news, would have had some reference points for the people in the first century. For the Jewish people, they would have thought good news was that long-awaited day when God would come rescue his people. For the Romans, they would celebrate this good news when they would celebrate the emperor. Maybe it was when he became the king, the emperor, or his birthday. Good news. That sounds like a little bit like Jesus. Long-awaited arrival to rescue us from pain and evil he is becomes the king we celebrate his king the king's birthday merry christmas good news we have good news the lord values his gospel and we should value the gospel as well that's one of the reasons we support places and people like pioneer bible translators to take the good news of Jesus to people who have never heard the gospel before. This good news continues. Verse 13, skip down to verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, 
which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Can I just say something right now? I believe this book can change people's lives. It's not what I say to you. It's what God says. And so I'm thankful that you come here not really to hear me speak. We come here to hear God speak. And so just like those Thessalonians, it says you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea. That's like Jerusalem area, southern part of, of Israel. Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, you suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. The last part of chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus, we await Jesus who rescues us from God's coming wrath. Here again, it's talking about the punishment for those who disobey the gospel. And he talks about how the Jews killed Jesus. Now, not all the Jews, just that group that was jealous in partnership with the Romans. But he's saying, you suffered just like those churches suffered, and we suffer for the gospel. The Lord values his gospel even in the face of strong opposition. If you want to take this theme a, a step further, we're offering the Right Now Media Study this, this month, Between Two Trees. Uh, Shane Wood, he's written a helpful book. It's a good read. Shane Wood writes it, uh, Between Two Trees. So if you don't have your Right Now Media account, we'd love to give that to you for free. It's Berlin CC. Uh, you can text that to 49775. But between two trees, he's saying, you know, we live life between the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and the tree of life in the new heaven, new earth, end of Revelation. And so we're between these two trees. And how do we live as gospel people as we await the coming of Jesus? The Lord values this gospel. Number two, the Lord values pure motives. The Lord values pure motives. And that's going to pick it up in verse, uh, verse 3, chapter 2. Paul says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Paul's describing his ministry with this young church. He says, you know, we didn't try to trick you with the gospel. As I'm reading through this, I just feel convicted as a minister of the gospel. I want, I want this to describe me. I want you to make sure that you can trust this messenger. No impure motives, not trying to trick not trying to flatter, I'll be honest, not trying to cover up greed, not looking for the praise from people. That's where, that's where it's hard for me. I want people like us. It's a challenge, challenge. But as messengers and 
followers of Jesus, we need to make sure who are we trying to please? Trying to please God. Trying to please God. And so he's like, we're not trying to trick anyone. Back in Paul's day, much like today's day, there'd be these traveling people. They'd tell some stories or they'd give this new wise teaching and then they'd have their hand out. I always kept thinking of the cowboy western movies and those snake oil salesmen. You know, they had this, this new tonic that would make all your aches and pains go away and just give me this money and here we go. Paul's saying, we're not like that. We don't operate that way. We speak the truth. Followers of Jesus have pure motives. Billy Graham, great evangelist, back in November of 1948, this was the group much later, but back in 48, this same group met in their hotel room in Modesto, California, and they could see that this you know, evangelistic crusade ministry was taken off. Thousands of people were coming to these crusades and lives were being changed. And, and they met in a hotel room in Modesto, California, and they just said, this looks like God's really doing some cool things here. What do we need to do to not mess it up? What are some things that other preachers and ministries messed up on, and how can we avoid that? And they had about a four, four things on their list, but the top two were, had to deal with money and women. Make sure you don't touch the money. You honor your marriage vows. Because young men, far away from home for long periods of time, challenges could come. And so those four made a commitment. We're going to make sure that those love offerings are counted and, and we're not going to have any, we're going to, we don't want any avoid appearance of greed or, or misappropriation of finances. We're going to take care of the money and we're going to honor our marriage vows. And decades later, they were able to stand before thousands and continue to preach the gospel with pure motives. They called that the Modesto Manifesto. The Lord values pure motives. In this season of Advent, it's, it's weeks leading up to Christmas. Advent means coming. And so you should have received a, a, a full-size piece of paper that has something like the common rule and some four Advent practices. So here's, here's what I want to challenge you the remaining, remaining weeks of, of Advent. I want you to try these four habits. Number one, if you're able, some are not, so find another way is a-okay. But kneeling prayer three times a day. Get on your knees three times a day and pray. And on the flip side of that page, it has your morning prayer, your noon prayer, and your evening prayer of what you can pray on your knees. A way to do that. Consider kneeling prayer three times a day during this window between now and Christmas. Number two, light a candle and say, Christ is light. We've been doing that this week at dinner time. We got a light candle, we're lighting it and take turns lighting it. And we just say, Jesus is the light of the world or Christ is light. Just use that as a reminder, visible reminder, Christ is light. Number three, scripture before phone. First thing in your morning, look at the Bible instead of your news feed on your phone. For some of you, maybe you still want to use your phone for your scripture that's okay. I'm still old school and like to like have a paper Bible, but you do what you need to do. Just get into God's word before you go through your other stuff on your phone. And here's the two questions he asks. Ask your question, yourself, who am I and who am I becoming? 
I need to do that. I haven't done that this week. That's those questions. Who am I and who am I becoming? I think that'll help with those motives. Instead of, what do I need to do today? That's usually where we go. What do I got to do today? Who am I and who am I becoming? Ask yourself these questions. Number four, this might be the hardest one. No phone while waiting. You know what I'm talking about? You're at Walmart. There's a line. Get your cart there. Then what do you do? Why are you laughing? You seen these kids? <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Is this, is this this better? Okay, that speed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it says no during between now and Christmas. When you have those, when you're at the doctor's office and you get checked in and you go sit down and you go and reach for it, hands off, leave it off, leave your hands off of it and look at the people who are creating the image of God all around you. They have stories. Maybe just maybe, I know some of you are like, there's no way I'm doing this, but some of you would actually are extroverted enough to actually talk to them. Others, you're not. That's okay. Pray for them. That's fine. But just don't, glow, don't look at the glow. Look at the glow in people's hearts that's in the image of God. So I tried this Friday night at Walmart. Not the greatest time to go to Walmart, okay? <laughs> just not. So I'm like, okay, practice what you preach. Not going to go through the self-checkout line. Um, I'm going to take the, I'm going to look for the cashier. Now, honest, I tried to find a not a real long line, but there's like three choices. Uh, and so I found this line, and whew, I mean, I could hear, I, it, just, it was just not boiling, but just like, ugh, hurry up up there. You know, and you know, honest confession, okay? So it was grandma in one of the motorized carts, and daughter and two grandkids. She, they had their hands full had their hands full, and I'm just, deep breath, and they tried to pull their cart, and it was catching on the newsstand, thankfully, I wasn't doing this, I was aware, and I just, let me help you, thank you so much, I had enough presence of mind to, to pay attention there, so try that this month, no phone while you're waiting, and maybe you need to do one of this to some of the people beside you. Remind them. It's okay. Jesus loves you because I guarantee you're going to fail this week. It's okay. But just try to be intentional in this season. No phone while waiting. See what God does in our hearts through that. Okay? The Lord values His gospel. He values pure motives. Number three, the Lord values gentleness and encouragement. The Lord values gentleness and encouragement. Pick it up in verse 7, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, we could have been bold and asserted our authority as apostles of Christ, but instead, verse 7, we were like young children, some even say infants or gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You were witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. 
For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of, the, of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So I said, I labeled this, we value, the Lord values gentleness and encouragement. It's a family imagery. You see all this family image? It says we were like young children, like a nursing mom cares for her children. Just those intimate moments, loving your newborn baby. There's a tenderness that comes with followers of Jesus when you're sharing with new believers the good news of Jesus. So it talks about verse 9, brothers and sisters, there's family talk here. Verse 11, he says, you know, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So there was, you know, sometimes you need mom just to hold you close, and sometimes you need dad to say, hey, let's kind of straighten up here. Let's, let's get back on track. And so we need both that love and that encouragement, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live or walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. God has big plans for us in his kingdom and in his glory. And I love that phrase. Verse 8, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Our lives as well. Jesus showed up at Christmas, shared his life with us physical, tangible, here. And as followers of Jesus, we share the good news. We speak the message of Jesus, but we also just need to share life together. We need each other. We need one another. And I'm so, so thankful for our ladies remind us that we are better together. And so I just want to encourage you. Is there some people right now that you just need to give that gentle word of encouragement and prop them up? Or is there someone that you just need to encourage and and somewhat urge and challenge them to a, a deeper, higher level? But ultimately, we just need to share our lives with one another. Invite people over for a meal. Spend time together. The Lord values encouragement. Do you remember these paper chains that we did last month? I got to read most of them. I didn't get to all of them. But a common theme, thank you for our church family. This one um, says, thankful for family and church. This one says, thankful for the Militellos, Mike and Stacy, and grandma's, Grandpa's cat. This one says, um, I thank you for this church. Jordan's dad, Nathan's mom, LCU, those are all people. The Lord loves his people, and the value that we have of this church is that we are together, and God can use us in some great, great ways. So we value what the Lord values. He values gentleness and encouragement. And number four, he values people. The Lord values people. Verses 17 to 20, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by you, there's another family imagery, separated, 
being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Later, Satan, what we call the tempter in chapter 3 when we look at that next week. He blocked our way. Verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you, yes, you are our glory and joy. Remember Paul and Silas they had, and Timothy, they got snuck out during the night out of Thessalonica. Went up to Berea and the Thessalonians chased them down there and they made it down the road a little bit further. And Paul said he kept wanting to come back and visit. But it said Satan blocked their way. Don't know what that means. Was it illness? Was there travel challenges? Not sure, but for some reason he felt sensitive enough to the spiritual world to say, this, this is Satan stopping us. But he said, even though we weren't physically present, we still had you in our heart. We still love you and think about you. And some of you know what that's like. Maybe you've got family who lives out of state and physically separated, but you still love one another. You share each other in their heart. The Lord values people. And he just wraps it up and says, we wanted to be with you again and again. And then he's like, who is our hope? What's our hope, our joy, our crown? It is you, Thessalonian church. My friend uh, Jim Dalrymple shared the story at a nationwide youth roundup about Lincoln Hall. He was one of those Mount Everest explorers. You know about hiking Mount Everest and uh, you know, talk, get, climb, get to the top of the world. Well, in 2006, Lincoln was with a group of, of hikers going up uh, Mount Everest. And he made it to the summit. And it, I, it's, it's a several-week ordeal. It's not like you just go hike the mountain, okay? It's several weeks, and you've got to kind of go from one stage to another stage and get acclimated to different elevations. I mean, it's a big, it's a big deal. $45,000 is what it takes to, to climb Mount Everest if you want to go do that anytime soon, okay? Uh, and so it's just a big deal. Well, he makes it to the top, and then about 300 yards down, that doesn't seem very far, but 300 yards down from the top, uh, he starts experiencing that altitude, health concerns. Uh, you know, they have the oxygen tanks, but so your, 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 alti- your, your oxygen, your brain is needing more oxygen, and he starts hallucinating, and one of his team members uh, dies. I mean, like, with there. He's like, we're losing this guy. He, he's dead. And they radio back down through a satellite phone. One of them's already dead. Now Lincoln's getting, he's going bad now too. It's not looking good. It's, it's not, you know, he's having trouble. And, and you start hallucinating. They, you know, they try to coax him, come down, come down. And it, your brain just does funky things. They couldn't get him to, to come hike down the mountain. He was picturing that he was on a boat. And like, no, dude. And they start saying, he, he's, he's dying. And then they're like, he's dead. And said so they poked his eyes. I guess that's something you do to try and get some kind of reaction. They radioed down and said, Lincoln Hall has died. And they gather his oxygen and his provisions and they go back down to base camp. The next day, a couple hikers, one by the name of Dan Mazur, uh, just a small little group, uh, they come hiking and they get to about 300 yards from the summit. And they see this yellowish fabric, think maybe it's like a tent, and they get closer and they see this man, coat unzipped, gloves off, hat off. And he says, I bet you're surprised to see me here. 
And they could tell that he was in distress and not in his right mind. And they're like, do you know your name? Yeah, I'm Lincoln Hall. Still alive. No oxygen for 12 plus hours up there in that altitude. So Dan and a couple of his teammates, they have a choice. 300 yards and they're at the top. There's Lincoln Hall needing help. So they said, why don't you put your gloves on? Let's get your coat on. It's cold out here. Let's get your hat on. And so they got it on and then he kept taking it off. And I mean, he was like on a precipice, like 6,000 feet, 8,000 feet either side. He was gone. He, he was that far out of it. And they were like, why don't you come down here where it's safe? And he kept taking his, his hat and gloves off, but eventually they were able to, they gave him some oxygen. And a couple other hikers are on their way, coming up, another group. And, and they see that, you know, and they're kind of motioning, can you help us? And they say, we don't speak English. And they kept on hiking up to the top. They radio back down, Lincoln Hall is alive. Could you send some help up? And they, hours later, get him back home to safety. He survived when he was left for dead. In one interview, he said that Dan Mazur and his group, they had to let their dreams of reaching the summit die so that Lincoln Hall could live. And just days earlier, there was another man who died there on Mount Everest, and 30 people walked right by him as he was dying, and they went to the top. Sir Edmund Hillary, if you recognize that name, he's the one that conquered Mount Everest for the very first time. He was interviewed after that previous one of people just walking by the dying man. And he says, when we hiked, we were very aware of our responsibilities to look after any person on the mountain who was in distress. He says, people are being neglected and dying. In our day, there's no doubt, that at all, no doubt at all that the responsibility of looking after people who were in danger or distress was far more important than getting to the summit. And so as we walk through life, do we chase after stuff like this? Or do we seek how to raise up a generation that is loved by God? Our coming Lord defines our values. He values His gospel, pure motives, gentleness and encouragement, and people. As the ink was still wet on this letter to the Thessalonians, I wonder if Paul had some people's faces in mind when he says, you are our hope, you are our joy, you are our crown, in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Berlin Christian Church, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when He comes? What is our hope, our joy, our glory?